Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Hi, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm glad that you've been taking this journey with us through the amazing book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ in this Apocalypse series. You know, many of you, like myself, were saddened to hear of the passing of Chadwick Bosman to cancer, a private battle with cancer. Uh, he's the actor who played in the groundbreaking, critically acclaimed film, The Black Panther, and he played the role of King T'Challa. As I was watching this film with my amazing wife, as we were watching it, I noticed a similarity. I wonder if you noticed it. Between King T'Challa and his reign and King Jesus and his reign in the unfolding story of Scripture. And here's the thing that I noticed about his character that reminds me of King Jesus. There was a reluctance to completely destroy his enemies, no matter how wicked they were. And let me explain. There was one guy that, that, that fought with King T'Challa, and he was a challenger to King T'Challa's reign in Wakanda. And as he's fighting with him, he is obviously defeating this guy. And he says, right before he has the ability to kill him, he says, look, your people need you. And he spares his life. Then there's the primary enemy in this film, Killmonger. And there's this epic battle. Killmonger had tried to uh, take uh, the place of King T'Challa. It reminds you very much of the enemy, Satan, in Scripture. And he tries to take the place of King T'Challa. And towards the end, King T'Challa gives him a severe wound that could, that, that could kill Killmonger. And before Killmonger has a chance to die, he says to Killmonger, he says, look, I can heal you with vibranium if you've seen the film. If you want, and Killmonger chooses instead to take his own life rather than live under the reign of King T'Challa. And you see in him this reluctance to completely destroy his enemies. There's this sense of redemptive justice. There's this sense that, that maybe there's a chance that they will repent and, and this whole thing can be restored, right? You see this in the character of King T'Challa. It reminds me of the character of God revealed in Christ. You see, in Scripture, God is slow to anger. He's slow to anger because he's seeking to bring people to repentance, that he might save them. But make no mistake, God is a God of justice, and he promises to bring evil to an end. But while I was on Facebook, I noticed there were some conversations about Killmonger, and I noticed there were actually some people that sympathize with Killmonger. And that struck me very interesting because it reminded me of in the very end, will there be people that possibly have some sympathies towards Satan and his rebellion and those human beings that side with his rebellion that gets crushed? Uh, will there be questions in their mind about the fairness, the justice of God's judgment? 
And so how does God bring evil to an end in a way that leaves no one wondering about the justice of his judgment? And I believe if we now will take the dive into Revelation chapter 20, I believe the Holy Spirit will give us clarity into this very important subject, right? So just imagine you're there, you witness the glory of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there are the two associates of Satan that make up an unholy trinity in the final movements of this earth's history. There is Satan trying to mimic the God the Father, and then there's the land-like the, the lamb-like beast, which is the United States of America. You guys have already covered that already in Revelation 13. And then there is the, the beast from the sea. Okay, so this is basically Western Europe under papal Christianity. It resurges towards the end. They come together and form a confederation. This is the global system in the end of time. And Christ and his system crushes it. Right? Reference Daniel 2, 40 to 45. Right? The stone cut out without hands. Crushes this system of Satan. That's behind the global system. And basically oppression brought to an end, evil brought to an end, right? And then we are ushered into this amazing scene. Christ takes his bride, takes the redeemed. Those of us that have trusted in the, in the grace of Christ are safely taken up with him to heaven. But then we get this next scene now in Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Watch this. The Bible says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. So right there, immediately, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer, the Apostle John, wants to be very clear that you know who this person is that's being bound, right? It's the devil, which means slanderer of character. It is Satan or Satan, which means adversary or enemy, okay? And he is bound by this, this amazingly strong angel, this good angel on the side of God, comes and binds him into a bottomless pit, or your translation may say the abyss. Well, what's this abyss? Well, this is the language coming from Genesis chapter 1. It's describing the earth kind of as it is um, in the early stages of day one of creation, okay? Uh, and it's being described as a abyss, abyssos in the original language. In other words, it is a formless, waterless, watery, wasteland type place. God is still in the process in day one of forming everything that's going to happen in the creation story, okay? So earth is brought back to that desolate place. And this is where Satan is bound. Okay. And here's what God wants you to know. God wants you to know right here that he's going to bring evil to a transparent end by arresting Satan. That's right. Satan is going to get locked up. I want you to imagine right now that you are two parents right? You're, 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 you're with your spouse and you have your child at the mall. Now let's just imagine COVID-19 isn't happening right now. You're at the mall and you're out there shopping and someone comes and snatches your toddler, snatches your child and kidnaps them. All right. And you spend three hours going through the emotional turmoil of wondering where is your child? What happened to them? And then the authorities arrive, they go, they, they apprehend the kidnapper. They're taken off to jail and your child is rescued 
and your child is brought back to you. Now you can imagine the relief of the parents, right? Having seen now, they have their child, they're squeezing their child tight, tears are coming down their face, and they are relieved because their child has been saved. Their child has been rescued, and the kidnapper has been arrested, probably awaiting trial, probably awaiting some charges. This is what God is trying to get across to us here in this imagery of Satan being bound to the earth. He's arrested for a thousand years on this planet. No one to tempt, no one to satisfy him and his demons, their sinister addiction to destroying lives. They are arrested. Now, verse 3 lets us know that the primary charge against him here is deception. He is bringing most, his primary method of operation to bring destruction to human lives is through the means of deception. Deception about what? Telling lies about the character of God. Because he knows that human beings act out of a false image of God. We, our picture of God is what we see, think, and feel, and then we act out of that picture of God. If you think God is cruel, you're cruel. If you think God is love, your love. And so God wants to deceive humanity. It's what he did in the Garden of Eden to deceive humanity into sin. And he continues to do that. And that is the source through which he is bringing destruction to this planet. He deceives the nations, the Bible says. And the Bible lets us know that it is primarily a deception about God's character of love. He does not want human beings, he does not want you, he does not want me, to settle into the truth that God really actually is love. And so he deceives the nations. He lies to us. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, verse 44, when he says, when he, speaking of the devil, lies, it is, his, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And God wants you to know that the lies that Satan has been telling you has not been coming from him. What he is trying to portray God as on this planet is not the truth. If you want to know the truth about God's character, look at Jesus. He reveals, especially at the cross, that God is love. God wants you to know. The one that has been lying to you this entire time. The one that's been hurting you and your loved ones. The one that's behind all of the source of evil and suffering and pain and injustice and racism. The enemy behind all enemies. The one perpetrating all injustice is Satan and he's going to be locked up. You can almost hear a chant in the background. Lock him up. Lock him up. Come on. Lock him up. God is saying evil will be held accountable. And Satan is going to be locked up. And I can almost hear somebody right now go, okay, well, that's, that's nice, CJ. Uh, evil, Satan, is going to be held accountable. He's going to be here for a thousand years in solitary confinement, miserable, can't deceive anybody. He's just got to sit here and think about what he's doing. But CJ, why didn't he just get destroyed? At the end of Revelation 19, the imagery there is of a lake of fire where the, 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 the sea beast and the false prophet, which is the lamb-like beast of Revelation 13, the USA, is thrown into this lake of fire. Why wasn't Satan, who was behind it, thrown into the lake of fire? Why isn't he destroyed? Why is he able to be, remain alive for a thousand years? God wants to show you something. 
And those are good questions to ask, but there's something God wants you to know. There's a reason behind the 1,000 years that the devil is going to be on this planet. All right? So come with me now to verse number four. The Bible says this. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, that is, image, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads, that's in their minds, or their hands, that's their actions, their deeds. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5, this is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Okay, so this same period of a thousand years, while Satan is actually bound to the earth, is also a period of time where those who are resurrected at the first resurrection, at the second coming of Jesus, the dead in Christ that have trusted in Jesus, join those that are alive in Christ, could very well be us, because he's coming soon. And they are united, taken to heaven with Christ for a thousand years. Newsflash. Heaven is not our permanent destination. If you're trusting in Jesus, heaven is not our permanent destination. Think of it this way. Heaven is the temporary honeymoon for the bride of Christ and Christ for a thousand years. It is the temporary vacation home. The goal is to actually bring us back to earth and renew the earth as he, after he gets rid of evil, okay? That's where the story's going, Revelation 21 and 22, okay? So we're actually there just for a thousand years. So what are we doing there for a thousand years? The Bible says thrones are erected. The book of Revelation calls us priests of God. Kings, we're royalty, ruling and reigning with Christ. Just let that blow your mind. But the Bible says that we're going to be sitting on thrones to watch this, to judge. Another word we could use there is to evaluate. Evaluate what? Well, we're going to find out in a second. But we're there to judge. Now, this should remind you very much of jury duty. Now, for some of you, if you're familiar with jury duty, it can be maybe for you an interruption into your life. You want to kind of go back to work, okay. But for some, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a nice break from the norm. But nevertheless, you went because you knew that you were doing something that was important to execute justice, right? You knew that you were to be a part of a select group of jurors that were to evaluate the evidence in a case. Someone has been arrested, convicted of a crime, charges were made, and you're there to work with the court so that you can evaluate all of the evidence in the case so that you guys collectively can arrive at a unanimous decision, a verdict as to whether or not the person is guilty or innocent. You're to evaluate in, a, in, a, in an environment of, watch this, of complete dis, full disclosure and transparency. And watch this. This is what God is inviting us into for a period of a thousand years. Look, God knows you and I have questions regarding 
what has happened to those that are not here with us in heaven? What happened when it came to certain scenes of evil and suffering that you've witnessed here on planet Earth? And God says, hey, I want to show you the evidence. I want to open up the records. I want to pull out the divine DVD and I want to show you what happened in that situation and all of the issues that were going on. Here's the thing. Who's being judged? What's being evaluated? Well, watch this. You're not. Not if you're in Christ. This is what the Bible is letting us know, right? In Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Your judgment fell on Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago on the cross. If you're in Christ, you don't fear judgment because your judgment has already been executed at the cross. You are free in Jesus Christ of any condemnation. So breathe free. You as a follower of Jesus Christ, or maybe you're considering following him. Trust me, the assurance is that when you receive him, you are not condemned. Hallelujah. So you're not judged. Okay. So who is judged? Well, come with me really quick over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 2, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, which is in Greece. He says this to this church, which had a lot of problems. One of the things he was dealing with um, was their bringing lawsuits before other Christians, before secular authorities. And in this context, he says, do you not realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And by the world here, he means the lost, those that have rejected, ultimately, the grace of God in Christ, okay? So we'll be looking at loved ones, maybe, or friends, or people in the world that maybe we thought were going to be there, but we review the records, we look at the situation, and we realize, man, their ultimate decision in their heart was to harden their heart against the love of God revealed in Christ. We will evaluate that, right? We will look at people that we maybe um, thought deserved to be here, to be in heaven, but you may not have realized that on the inside they had completely rejected and hardened their hearts against the gospel, all right? And so you're going to evaluate that, okay? But it doesn't stop there. This part may, may catch you by surprise. Verse 3, Paul continues. He says, Do you not realize that we, followers of Jesus, will judge angels, angels. And by angels there, he's referring to the fallen angels, demons, evil spirits. That's right. We're going to even look at the motives. We're going to even look at the, the final decisions and the hardening of the hearts of even demons. We're going to evaluate their joining the rebellion of Satan. And so we're going to evaluate all of that because what really we're being invited into when it comes to this judgment, when it comes to this jury duty, if you will. What's behind this is the one who actually, which will really surprise you, is the one who really is being judged in all of this. God. That's right. The reason we're going to be judging the lost, the reason we're going to be evaluating and judging the fallen angels, is because ultimately God is the one that's sovereign and in control is the God of the universe. And ultimately we're going to be evaluating God's justice, his fairness, his character of love in light of evil. And we're going to be looking at all of the complexity of what he was dealing with. And God is saying, look, I want to show you the records because what I'm, what I'm really saying to you is, what God is really saying is, was there anything else that I could have done to redeem them? 
I did everything. Please take a look at their life. Look at every situation where I tried to save them. I did everything through the love of God revealed in Christ to penetrate their hearts with my love, and they still rejected it. And because God is love, he cannot and will not force his love. And so he looks at you almost with tears in his eyes. It's almost like he's choking up, and he's on the witness hand. And he's saying, was there anything else I could do? When you look at the evidence, when you open up the books, and look at the records, look at each case. Was I fair? Was I just? Many of us are gonna have questions, come on. There's some horrible things that have happened, injustice, evil, people molested, rape, the Holocaust, right? Mid-Atlantic slavery. Some of you have lost loved ones in a way that was untimely, that completely just shook your family. And God says, I wanna, sh I wanna pull back the curtain. I want you to trust me. I want you to look at everything, total transparency, full disclosure. And he opens himself up to your judgment. Look, even though you're saved, you're there. You're ruling and reigning with Christ. And he still wants to make sure that any question that might be lingering in your mind gets cleared up. Total transparency. He doesn't want to move into the final phase of his execution of just judgment until your mind is clear, my mind is clear, all answers, all why questions have been given, have been answered. And when it's all said and done, your mind and your heart will be clear. You will see that God has been just. God has been fair. God has been impartial. God has been love in everything that he has done, and in every case, you will conclude that I can trust him forever. Now that I know what he was dealing with, I realize that he really is love. And now, with almost a sense of holy somberness and awe, at the end of the thousand years, God now moves into this final phase of judgment. Come with me now to verse number seven. The Bible says this in verse number seven. When the thousand years came to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as the sand along the seashore. Then go with me now to verse number 10. The Bible says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tortured day and night forever and ever. Verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here. First of all, we need to understand the Bible records that God gets no pleasure from the destruction of the wicked. He doesn't enjoy this. He doesn't enjoy seeing those that could have been saved, that hardened their heart against him, destroyed. No pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. He's not laughing at this. He's, no, 
this is not something that God enjoys. The Bible also says very clearly in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 33, the Bible says, he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. So here's what God is revealing to us here in this final point. God is revealing to us here that he will ultimately bring evil to a transparent end by painfully executing final judgment painfully executing final judgment. It reminds me of my dad. My dad never liked physically disciplining my brother and I. It literally would take something egregious, like we had to do something really bad, and lo and behold, the day came where we did. We did something really bad, and he slowly walks down the hall. You may be familiar with this scene, right? He walks slowly down the hall, opens the door slowly, and he walks in with a soft voice, and he says, now, you guys know what you did was wrong. He explains why we're about to be physically disciplined, right? No parent wants to do this. And so imagine God is the divine parent. God does not want to do this. He's slow to anger. But ultimately, God has to. Love demands justice. He must execute just justice if he is love. And so it's out of pain. This is not something he enjoys. He painfully executes justice. Now watch this. Look what happens. Verses, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 to 10, is the first time the explanation of the final judgment of the wicked is explained. And then it's repeated in verses 11 to 15. And here's, this, here's what's happening. Is this principle in prophetic literature, prophetic writings of repeat and enlarge. The writer will tell you something and then repeat it again and tell it to you in greater detail. And so here's basically when you put those two together, when you put the first time it's mentioned there, 7 to 10, and then 11 to 15 together, here's basically what happens. After the thousand-year period, Satan is released from the earth. He goes out to deceive the wicked that are raised to life, the second resurrection. They're raised and they are in the same condition that they were when they went into the grave when they died, when they were destroyed at the second coming or when they died prior. And what's being revealed here is Satan, the demons, and the wicked have not changed. Even after a thousand years, their character is the same. Their heart is still hardened. How do we know? Because they then go to attack the city of God, the new Jerusalem, where all the righteous, where all of us will be that are in Christ. But all of that is brought to a screeching halt because Jesus rises above the city, a white throne is set in place, they record that he goes through the records, the book of life, all the wicked are convicted of the justice of the judgment that's about to be executed, then the Bible says fire comes down from heaven from the presence of God. Let me pause here. The Bible says that God, his love is like a vehement flame in the book of Solomon, Song of Solomons. God's love is like a fire. His presence is like a fire. They are being consumed. But the wicked will be burned in the presence of God's holy fire, his character of love. It is in the presence of a loving God that they will be consumed. They will recognize that what they have done, all that evil that they did, and that they hardened their hearts against the, the gospel. That's why they're, they're, they're being described as being destroyed in the presence of the Lamb. Not, not the angry God with lightning, lightning bolts. No. They recognize that they have rejected life eternal through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're convicted. They're crushed primarily mentally, and then ultimately physically by the fires of God's presence, and they are destroyed. Now, they're destroyed in the presence of God because they don't have a redeemer because they've rejected him. It's not arbitrary. It's just what happens when you pull the umbilical cord, 
When you pull the life support, you die. That's what's happening to them here. And God lets this happen painfully because those, those were his children. But understand that this, the fires of hell is not forever. In scripture, when it talks about the fire of the wicked and their torment going, the smoke of their torment going forever and ever, notice it says the smoke of their torment. In other words, the destruction is permanent. It's final, but it's not forever. God is not like the enemy who tortures people. He's not sadistic. If God were to torture people in hell forever and ever and ever, then he would be like Satan. And he's not. No, this is temporary. How do we know? Because he's going to renew the earth. This is taking place on the earth. The fires that consume the wicked are also the fires that replenish, that renew, that purify the earth. And God then makes a new earth. All things are made new. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Matter of fact, God relocates heaven to earth. And he dwells there with all of his redeemed, finally, forever, never to be separated again. What is forever in scripture is the love of God, is the reign of God, is the kingdom of God, is his love for you, is his love for me. And here's what he wants to let you and I know today. He is going to bring racism to an end. He is going to bring white supremacy to an end. He is going to bring molestation of children to an end. Come on. He is going to bring lying to an end, gossiping to an end, people that assassinate your character coming to an end. All evil and injustice is coming to an end. It is not anyone that has got anyone that seems to have been gotten away with any kind of evil. They're not getting away with it. God's bringing it to an end. But here's what he also wants you to know. You don't have to be there in the lake of fire. You can be in the Lamb's book of life. As a matter of fact, according to the gospel, according to the cross, your name is already in the Lamb's book of life. The only way you get out of the Lamb's book of life is by rejecting Christ. The cross says your name is already there. Accept it. Receive it. No one needs die in the fires of hell. Because Jesus took hell for you. Receive him today. And you don't have to experience the fires of hell, this final judgment. Christ took it for you. Receive him today. He is love. He loves you. He's revealing himself to you through this revelation. And he wants you to know he is love and he's fully transparent. And you don't have to go to hell. He has made you right with God the Father, justified you freely by his grace. You can receive him now. Why don't I pray with you right now? Father, be with my friend right now, those watching, those studying together in groups, those in watch parties. May they sense your love penetrating their heart through the revelation of Jesus Christ. May they receive him today, trust in his grace today, receive the full freeing pardon of their sins and rejoice in new life in you and have the full assurance that they never have to experience the second death because they have life in Jesus Christ forever in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm CJ Cousins. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, 
watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend His reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.